We'll continue back in John chapter 10. This is considered to be the Good Shepherd Discourse. And um, we made it down to verse 11 today. And I'm going to pick back up and start in verse 11 and work our way down all the way to verse 21. And I hope that so far that you can see when you put things into context, how it changes things and how it just takes the meaning of it and just makes it fly off the page. And, and what Jesus is saying here to these Pharisees, and he's rebuking them as the false shepherds um, and comparing them to himself, who is the true shepherd. We talked about the first fold uh, that he will call uh, his elect from, which is Israel. This is the, uh, the Pharisees were the false shepherds of the people of Israel there. And he would call his own out of Israel, his elect out of those people. And this would be an effectual call. They will come. It is irresistible grace. They will follow. And they're his sheep. He has authority to come into the door. He has the authority to call his sheep. They're his sheep. He knows them by name in a personal, intimate way because we said that their names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life before the foundation of the world. We also looked at that they will follow him perseverance of the sheep slash saints as they will not follow another um, because they're his and they belong to him. But these Pharisees, they are the ones who climb over the walls. They're the thieves. They're the robbers. They're the ones who are out to still kill and destroy for their own selfish and personal gain. They don't care about the people. They care about themselves. And he repeatedly through these first 11 verses tells them straight to their face, you are the thieves and you are the robbers. And you can only imagine as they've hated him up to this point, what that would do to this man that they hate, now looking straight at them and saying, you are the thieves and you are the robbers. It would increase their hatred for him. And we said that at the end of this chapter, they're going to pick up stones to stone him because imagine this, he's going to declare himself to be God. And they know what he's declaring, so therefore they pick up stones to throw at him. But it's not his time. We haven't mentioned that in a few weeks. It's not his time. So therefore, he's not going to die. But he will die, won't he? His time is coming. And what is he going to do? He's going to sacrificially lay down his life for the sheep because he loves his sheep. He would do anything for his sheep, even to the point of death. And that's where we pick up tonight in verse 11. We'll read down to verse 21. Remember, this is the scene. Jesus has healed this man who's blind. He's there. Jesus is there. The Pharisees are there. They've just excommunicated this young man. All the people are gathered, and that's the scene of this story. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay, my, I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. 
This commandment I received from my father. A division occurred again among the Jews because of these words. Many of them were saying he has a demon and is insane. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these are not the sayings of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. Can he? And that's where we'll stop tonight. The inspired word of God. We hear Jesus' words as he's speaking to these Pharisees and what truth there is in these verses. And before we preach, let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we thank you that you've allowed us to be here tonight one more time. The privilege to come and gather with your people. And Lord, to hear your words. Lord, it is your word that is the food for the sheep. And it is your word that quenches our hunger. And it is you, Lord, whom we want to feast on tonight. So, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our souls to the truths that are found in these verses. And, Lord, that we would see what it means that you say you're a good shepherd, the good shepherd. And, Lord, what you've done for your sheep, what you continue to do for your sheep. And, Lord, how you love your sheep. So I pray that you would help us tonight and we would give you all the glory that you deserve we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We go back to verse 11 and we look at this definite atonement, this limited atonement, if you will, that the shepherd lays his life down for a specific group of people. And it's very clear who he lays his life down for. His sheep. Those are the only ones that he lays his life down for. He lays his life down for his elect, his group of people that the Father has chosen from the foundation of the world. He lays his life down for the sheep. These false shepherds here, they do not care about the people. They would not lay down their life for one second. They would not do anything sacrificial for anybody. But this eternal God, loving his sheep personally and intimately, he lays his life down for them. And the love that the shepherd has for his sheep is on full display when on the cross he willingly dies for them. You know, we go back to Abraham. We mentioned that a few weeks ago when we were talking types and shadows. And, and we see that that story of willingly lay down your life in the story of Abraham and Isaac where Isaac willingly laid down his life. He trusted the father. The father would bind him up and lay him on the altar. And why did he do that? Because he trusted his father and he willingly laid down his life. And it would be on that same mountain, Mount Moriah, which would be later we know as Mount Calvary, that the true lamb of God would trust his father and willingly lay down his life for his sheep. If you want to know if your shepherd loves you, if you want to know if your shepherd cares for you, if you want to know how valuable and precious you are to your shepherd, Look no farther than the cross. He willingly laid his life down for his sheep. The cross was intimate and personal, and it accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. Verse 12, we begin to look at this hired hand. 
And we mentioned it briefly today in the first service, the where that there would be doorkeepers who that would be uh, in service to the shepherd, and they would be in charge of guarding the door. But they would also have hired hands that would be there to help along the way uh, in any of the tasks that the shepherd may need. But these weren't the hired hands. They uh, the sheep didn't belong to them, so they really didn't care like the sheep or the shepherd did. And if their life was ever in danger, if there was ever an attack from the outside, whether it be wild animal or beast, because they didn't have that care and that personal connection to the sheep, they would flee. They would rather save themselves than to stand and fight for the sheep. And this is what we find here in this next set of verses referencing the Pharisees. Now keep in mind, the good shepherd willingly lays down his life for the sheep. And let's look at contrast to the Pharisees here who are the hired hands, who don't care about the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. And we know the good shepherd would die and did die for his sheep. In the hired hands because they're not his sheep. They runs and flees and would rather save himself. And I told you we would go back to the Old Testament tonight and we would look at a, a very amazing set of verses that we find in the story of David and Goliath. So I'm going to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And just to remind us all as we come to this story every time. I said it today, but I think it needs to be a constant reminder to every one of us, you're not David, neither am I. So we've talked about it before, and as we've done types and shadows before, if you want to know who we are, we're the scared people. We're the, the people that can't fight Goliath, the, the enemy on our own. We're waiting there for the true shepherd king from Bethlehem to come and rescue his people and defeat the enemy to which he alone can do. But let's look at some interesting verses here as we know that David is pointing to Christ and we know that we read it today that it would be the son of David, Christ, who would be the shepherd of the one flock and now we turn back to the story of David and Goliath, and we find this in verse, uh, verse 31 of chapter 17. Listen to this. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told him to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. And then we start to pick it up in verse 34. Remember, David, type and shadow, pointing to Christ. David killed Goliath, the enemy. Christ defeated sin on the cross. Listen to this in verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, and I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth, and when he arose up against me, I seized him by the beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of 
the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of, the Philist, of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Here we have this scene of David pointing to the true son of David. And what does he say when he's told that he can't go fight and he can't go defeat this enemy? What does he say? Your servant, I have been guarding the father's flock. He was a shepherd. He was born in Bethlehem. We know that this would be the Davidic covenant that out of this line of David, the Messiah would reign forever. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of the type and shadow of David and Goliath and Christ. We won't go into that all night, although we could and really tempting not to, but we won't. But here you see that David is guarding the, the father's flock and here comes the enemy in the form of a lion and a bear. They are out to get his father's sheep. They're out to get the sheep. And what does David do? He goes risking his life, sacrificially taking matters into his hands, what is needed to save his sheep. And he kills the lion with his bare hands. And he kills the bear. Because you know what David knew? That his sheep were worth laying his life down for. He would do anything to protect those sheep, even if it meant death. Pointing ahead thousands of years to the true shepherd, the son of David, the true shepherd king out of Bethlehem, who would do what was needed and sacrificially lay down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd loves his people. The good shepherd loves his sheep. He laid his life down for them and he continues to guard them and protect them because they are his. I love that story of David, how it points to Christ. It's no accident that it's mentioned that David was guarding his father's flock. And he fought against the enemy to save and protect his sheep because he's pointing to the good shepherd, Christ who willingly laid his life down for the sheep. He continues to go here and he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. I'm reminded when we come to verses like this, that we know that our God is an omniscient God. He is an all-knowing God. And we find verses such as we find in Matthew chapter 7. And we know this verse, we, we have heard these verses in Matthew chapter 7, but let's listen to them again, because he says, I know my sheep. That's an interesting thing to say from an omniscient God. Would we not say that the omniscient God knows everything? Yes. Does he know every person? Yes. Does he know everything about every person? Yes. Is there ever a time where he's not known everything? No. He doesn't gain knowledge. He doesn't lose knowledge. He's omniscient. He knows the number of hairs on everyone's head. He knows the number of heartbeats that he's ordained every person to have. He knows the number of seconds of everyone's life. He determines where you'll be born at, where you'll live. All these things are by the omniscient and omnipotent power of our God. So why does he say, I know them? Because there's a special knowledge. There's a special knowing of his sheep. It's a salvific knowledge. It's an intimate knowledge. It is a foreknowledge of his sheep to where he knows them intimately and personally as they are his. 
And if you remember how you can see the story just start to come together a little bit. Jesus said today that I am the door. And we went to Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. And he's talking about this gate that is narrow and it, it leads to life. And that's through him. He's the only way. And then right after that, in verse 15 of chapter 7 of Matthew, he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but are ravenous wolves. That's like the Pharisees, aren't they? they they're dressed to the nines. They wear the robes. They say the prayers. But inside, in their motives, in their actions, they are ravenous wolves who want to kill and steal and destroy. And he goes on down to verse 21. Look what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. I think we mention it every time we come to a a repetitive word where it has two words back to back, but I think it's important when you see something like that, Lord, Lord, Abraham, Abraham, David, David, etc. That's an intimate calling. That's an intimate part of this verse. You remember on the cross, he says, my God, my God, it's an intimate thing. So when Jesus is teaching here that many will come and say, Lord, Lord, they are expecting or thinking there's this intimate relationship between them and God. Lord, Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. But this is the omniscient God. He knows them. Would we agree with that? He formed them. He gives them the number of days. So this has to not mean that he doesn't know who they are. It's deeper. He doesn't know them as his sheep. He doesn't know them as his elect. He doesn't know them as his people. Because there's something special. There's something intimate. There's something about his sheep and him that he knows in an intimate, salvific way. That's what he says. I never knew you. Depart from me, you work, you, those who practice lawlessness. But he goes back and he says, but I know my sheep. I know them. I chose them. Wrote their name down. Died for them. Loved them. There's an intimate knowledge between me and my sheep. I know every human being. I created every human being. All their days are numbered before one came to be. I know that. But there's something intimate about how I know my sheep. And this is what he's saying here. My, I know my own. And my own know me. The sheep know him. The sheep will follow him. The sheep will love him. They will be called out. They will come. They will follow. And they will know him intimately, salvifically. And they will know him as their savior, as their redeemer, as their good shepherd. Do you see the intimacy here between the good shepherd and the sheep? How much he loves and he cares for his sheep. And how much disdain that the false shepherds of this time had for the people. He knows his sheep. He knows his own and they know him. Even as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay my life down for the sheep. 
He says, I know my sheep. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That's quite, <laughs> that's quite a verse in itself. I know them as the Father knows me and I know the Father. An intimate knowledge. We've said it before, we keep saying it frequently, but the love of God was displayed as He laid His life down for the sheep. And we know that He says, even as the Father knows me and I know Him, I know my sheep and I lay my life down for the sheep. It was the same love the Father had towards the Son that He has on His sheep. That's that special knowledge. That's that special love. That's that special affection upon His sheep. As you read this, I just want you to see the depth of the love, the personal, the personal nature of this relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep and He lays it down only for the sheep. Verse 16. Up to this point, we've only been talking about in this context, He's been talking about this first fold, which is Israel. Well, he will call out his people among the Jews. It will be out of the house of Israel that he will call his elect to him. But in verse 16, this is where you and I begin to say, thank you, Lord. Because without verse 16, we have no hope. Because we weren't in that, we weren't in that first fold. We are not in that group of Israel by ethnic descent. But we belong to another fold, don't we? In verse 16, he says this, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, not of Israel. And what he's saying here is, I have other sheep and all those sheep are from the Gentiles. He will call his elect from the Jews and he will call his elect from the Gentiles. This is where you and I come into, come into part of the story. Because he does have another fold, and it's the Gentiles. It is this fold where you and I belonged. This is the fold that we were at as we were roaming aimlessly until the shepherd comes and comes through the door, calls our name, leads us out. We follow him, we come, and he leads us through our life. This is speaking about the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel, when we went through Romans, this was a, this was a phrase that we kept using over and over and over again. And, and we, we began to question if you went into churches today and you said, tell me what the mystery of the gospel is. How many people would know what that means? And, and probably not a whole lot. But the mystery of the gospel is that salvation would be including the Gentiles. It would be the grafting in of the Gentiles into this redemption plan. And we see little, uh, little clues and we see little uh, glimpses of it in the Old Testament. We can even go back to Moses. Do you remember why that Moses' sister was stricken with leprosy for a short period of time in Numbers chapter 12? Because she was, her and Aaron were complaining that Moses married a Gentile woman. Now Moses, type and shadow, pointing to Christ. I think that's a beautiful little touch in the Old Testament that is foreshadowing that the Gentiles would be grafted in as well. And we would be as bride as well. I'm thankful for that. 
The mystery of the gospel as you as I as Gentiles can be offered this salvation. We can have a shepherd. We can be called out. We can be his sheep. Even from the Gentiles. This is the mystery of the gospel. This is what he's mentioning here. And there are many verses that tell us about the mystery of the gospel. We find several of these in Ephesians chapter 2, right after uh, we know the first 10 verses of chapter 2. We were dead in sin, we were saved by grace. But verse 11 of that chapter shifts and he begins to say those who were far off, talking about the, the Gentiles and the wall of hostility that stood between uh, the, the Jew and the Gentile. And, and through the death of Christ, the wall of hostility has come crashing down. And now those who are far off are brought near and we are one group of people reconciled to God. And that goes all the way into chapter 3 of Ephesians where Paul will then tell us that this is the mystery that has been hidden but now is revealed that it is the Gentiles who are being grafted in. Do you remember how much uh, the Jews and the Gentiles feuded? you remember how much hostility there was between the Jew and the Gentile? And now, through the death of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the, and the witness of this gospel, it goes to, the gospel goes to all the nations, all the world. Because from among the Gentiles, he has a group, his elect, his sheep, to which he will call. We find that in Romans chapter 11. We find it in Romans chapter 10. We find it in Romans 16. Just read the book of Romans. You'll see it. Paul ends his last chapter in the book of Romans talking about this mystery that has been hidden from all these ages but now has been revealed as he is the uh, to spread this gospel to the nations. And any time we look and we can go to the Old Testament in Isaiah 52 where he says that his blood will sprinkle many nations, that is a reference to the Gentiles. And this is what he's saying. Aren't you thankful that he had another fold full of sheep that he had to call out? Because if there was not another fold, we would have no hope and we would die and be damned forever. This is what he's Referencing here, I have other sheep. Now, I want you to listen to the certainty of this. Listen to this. I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must, listen to these words, I must bring them in also, and they will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. There's no uncertainty there. He must bring them in. They're the ones given by the Father to Him. I must bring them in. I must bring in the elect, the sheep from the Gentiles. I must bring them. They will come. They will hear my voice. They will follow me. And they will become one group of sheep with one shepherd. He is this good shepherd who is the shepherd over all, both from the Jew and from the Gentile. And we go back to Ezekiel 34. Verse 23, we mentioned this today when we were reading through this rebuke in this, um, this section of Scripture about the false shepherds. In the Ezekiel 34, but in verse 23, he's looking ahead to the Messiah. And this is what it says. Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. One shepherd, one group, one flock, 
This is who we are under our good shepherd. One body united. One flock following this shepherd who willingly laid down his life for his sheep and guides us and leads us. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. What a good shepherd he is. Verse 16 is so important to us because that's in reference to us. And if you're a believer tonight, we should give great thought to verse 16. He goes on to verse 17 and says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I laid down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Stop and think about the scene that's going on with the Pharisees. How many times have they tried to kill him? Wanted to kill him, tried to arrest him. They've already tried to kill him. They want to kill him in all the chapters we've read so far. At the ending of this, they're going to try to stone him. He's not, it's not going to happen. But there's going to come a point where they, they get him in the garden. And what they must have been thinking, we got him. Oh, he thought he was the Messiah. He thought he was the creator of the world, the son of man. And look at us. We got him now. What power we have. This is a fake. This is a phony. This is a false teacher, a false prophet. And they hang him on a cross, rejoicing, thinking they've won this battle, thinking they've gotten the best of him. And all along, he's willingly laying down his life. The only power, the only authority they have is what was given to them from above. Remember when he tells that to Pilate? As he's standing face to face with, face with Pilate, and Pilate tells him that, he, do you know who you're standing in front of? I have the power to do this to you. And he tells him, you have no power except for the power given to you from above. And when they grab him and they take him, he willingly is laying down his life. He's willingly laying down his life for you if you're his sheep. No man took it from him. He did that for his sheep. He suffered that pain and that agony. He did that for his sheep. This is how much he loves the sheep. This is the ends that he would go for his sheep. This is the personal love and the, the relationship he has to his sheep. So remember that as we go and we see they will arrest him, they will beat him, they will, they will whip him, they will scourge him, they will nail him to a cross, they will put a crown of thorns on his head, they will spit at him, they will beat him, they will do all these horrendous things. And in the back of your mind, know this, the good shepherd is willingly laying down his life for the sheep. He says, I can lay it down and I can raise it back up and we've discussed this before, but I think it's important again that the resurrection of Christ is triune in nature. We have a triune God. And the Bible tells us that all three divine persons of the Godhead were involved in the resurrection of Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 tells us that it is the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. Galatians chapter 1, verse 1 says it's the Father who raises the Son from the dead. But you remember what John chapter 2, verse 19 said? 
when he was cleansing the temple. You remember that? He comes in, he, he overturns the tables, he drives the money changers out. And he says, by what authority do you have to do what you've done? To come into this temple, the house of God, and do what you've just done, by what authority? He begins to talk about the temple. And do you remember what Jesus said? He said this. Destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. Who else could raise themselves from the dead except for God? Who else could make that claim? Go ahead and kill me. I'm willingly going to lay down my life. And oh, by the way, once I'm dead, I'm going to raise myself from the dead. That's only something that God can do. This is the eternal God. This is the Son of Man in flesh. The Logos in flesh, willingly laying down His life. You see, let me just say this really quickly. Do you remember John chapter 1? Do you remember how much time we spent on John chapter 1? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And we talked about that John started back before creation. And we have this high and exalted view of who He is. And the higher we know who He is, and He's the eternal Logos, and then it's even more miraculous and amazing that He would take on flesh and dwell among us to live for us and die for us. But when you think about the eternal Logos, to become flesh, to lay His life down for you, it becomes almost unimaginable. It almost becomes so incomprehensible in our minds that not only would He come and live for the sheep, but this eternal God would die for His sheep. That's a love that we can't fathom. That's a love we can't grasp fully. But it's an intimate love from an from the Good Shepherd. And He lays His life down and He raised it back up because He is the Son of Man. And you'll never guess what happened as a result of this in verse 19. This is going to shock you. Be ready. A division occurred among the Jews because of these words. It's always his words, isn't it? You know what his words are? Their truth and their life. Their spirit and their life. And you either love them or you hate them. And a division broke out again, occurred among the Jews because of these words. And many of them were saying, He has a demon. As in, and is insane. It's not the first time we've heard this. Remember in the previous chapters, they said he's a Samaritan and he's a demon-possessed Samaritan. That's the worst of the worst to these Jews. And why do you listen to him? And I can just picture this man born blind standing beside Christ. He doesn't tell us, but I would love it to be that way as he's rebuking these Pharisees because they are supposed to be the ones who care about the people of God. 
And this man who's just believed in the Son of Man has been kicked out because these false shepherds don't care a thing about anybody but themselves. And I would have loved it to be. We don't know. And we are not meant to know. Or he would have put it there for us to know. There's some things we just don't know. But I would love for Jesus to be telling these Pharisees who've just kicked this man out, cast him out, as he's telling him that they're thieves and they're robbers and they only come to kill and steal and destroy, but he's the good shepherd. I would have loved to have this blind guy right to his right, just watching this thing unfold. Because verse 21, we come back to the healing of the blind man. Remember why this man was born blind. It was so the works of God might be displayed in him. And the works of God are a witness that testify that he is from the Father, that he is the Son of Man. And who can do these things? but one from God. Others were saying, these are not the sayings of of one demon possessed. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind. Can he? I would love to have this guy sitting right there as they're looking at him. How did this guy get his sight? It's only from the Son of Man. That's the only way. The works that were displayed in this man, born blind. Now he is a witness to the works of the Son of Man. This is quite the story. And once you see chapter 9 and chapter 10 are running at the same time, it changes the context of it all. This man was born blind so the works of God could be displayed. Isn't that amazing? You think about this. This guy who had been born blind had a purpose in life and it was to witness to the things of God. And he would have never thought that 2,000 years later some people in North America would still be talking about him. Witnessing still to this day of the works of God, before we close, do you remember why the gospel according to John was written? Do you remember that? We haven't mentioned it in a long time. But let's go there really briefly. All these things are testifying about who He is, that He is from the Father, including the healing of the blind man, including all that we've heard so far. In John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31, here's what it says. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Doesn't that make you curious? But you weren't meant to know them. Neither were I. So we just have to rest in that. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. That's what the book of John is attesting to. That you may see that He's from the Father. That you may believe. And by believing in Him, you have eternal life. That's the door to which the sheep go out and find life and pasture. 
when we gather next week, good Lord willing, these Pharisees have had enough. And they will demand that Jesus tell them plainly if He's the Messiah or not. You kidding me? That's all He's done. If you're the Messiah, just tell us so we can believe. And you know He's going to tell them? I have told you. But you don't believe and you can't hear. And do you know why? Because you're not my sheep. That's what he's going to tell them. You've heard the same message that everyone else has heard. But you don't believe it. And you can't hear it for what it is. Because you're not my sheep. And with that, the hatred will increase. He's going to declare deity. And it's going to build right up all the way till they arrest him and hang him on a cross. But what do we know? He willingly is doing that for his sheep. I hope you can see the difference in the false shepherds and the good shepherd. And if you're a Christian tonight, just stop as we close and think about your good shepherd. Before the world was. Before the world was. He knew you intimately, personally, salvifically. And He wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. And then He would come calling that name. He has authority to go through the door. He comes to His sheep of the Jew and of the Gentile and He calls you by name. Intimate, personal. It's an effectual call. And you come and you follow. You won't follow another. And this good shepherd will lead you and guide you, protect you. He goes ahead of you, shows you the way, fends off dangers. He doesn't want anything. He won't let anything get to his sheep. There may be testing, there may be trials, but no one, no sheep will ever be lost by the shepherd. Every one of them will find their eternal home because He's the Good Shepherd. He's keeping all of His sheep. I hope that as we walk into this world this week, we know that our Shepherd is leading us. We think about what He's done for us. He knows you intimately. He knows you personally. And that love is on full display on the cross. When the Good Shepherd laid his life down for the sheep. I thought we could end tonight with Psalm 23. Your shepherd loves you. He cares for you. He's leading you. He's guiding you. He died for you. He knows you by name. It's intimate. It's personal. I hope you see this. And if you ever stop for a moment and say, does He really care? Does He really love me? Look to the cross. Look to the cross. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd. 
I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank You again for this Word and Your truth. And Lord, I hope tonight that we can see You as the Good Shepherd. Lord, I hope we can stop and see that You willingly lay down Your life for the sheep. Lord, that You love Your sheep. It's a personal thing. It's an intimate relationship with Your sheep. God, let us know that tonight. And Lord, when we go through things in this life and the way becomes rocky and the path may seem difficult, Lord, let us keep our eyes on You who goes before us as You are leading us in paths of righteousness for Your name's sake, not for ours, but for You. And Lord, let us tonight trust our shepherd. Lord, that you have laid your life down for us and that all things are working together for good. And plan A is still running flawlessly, full steam ahead as we speak. So Lord, let us trust you as you go before us and guide us. Lord, let us keep our eyes on you knowing that You will guide us, You will shepherd us to our eternal home where we will dwell in Your house forever. And Lord, we thank You that You know us. And Lord, we thank You that You've allowed us to know You. And Lord, again, we thank You for laying down Your life for us. And Lord, when we see what You've done for us, let us never for one moment not trust You as our shepherd. You are the good shepherd. And we give You all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.